today is Wednesday. It is 12-9-2020. Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. We are ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time we have this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength as we navigate through this world. We thank you for those who have joined us, praying for each and every family that is associated with Word is Truth. We're praying for uh, healing, financial, whether it be physical, mental, we're asking for healing in this area so, uh, so that we can continue in this world to keep our focus on you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay. So we have uh, been focused on the book of Romans, chapter 8, and we're going to get there tonight. And our text that we want to focus on is Romans 8.32, I believe. Let's see if that is right. Yes. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Well, we'll take a look at that tonight. Another interesting verse in Romans 8. So um, let's see. There's a lot to it, but we'll see if we can get through it. And uh, so before we do, let's take some time for some Q&A. Let's just see if there's any follow-up questions or any questions at all. Uh, we'll, we'll open the floor. I will pause. It's great. I, I took up a lot of time last week. Do you have anything you want to ask? Because otherwise, I'll, no, I'll, no, Dave. I'll, I'll, I'll let you fire away. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, uh, I just, I did, you know, tune in to Sundays and uh, love took me. You know, I, I, I even have a whole nother dimension. Uh, the father's love for the son, the son's love for the father, and I, I should say that God is love for us. We're his glory. I mean, it's just, as this comes together, it's, it's uh, I guess I could say, the, for me, it's kind of mind-blowing when the, all these truths are put together. Uh, with you know, with the aid of God, the Holy Spirit, it's uh, who are we? And uh, so, but anyway, go ahead, Dwight, with your question. All right. Well, thanks, thanks for the comment. Um, yeah, it's really nice, nice when when, uh, when we get it. It, it, it really, it really. Um, blows us over with, with uh, how wonderful it is. Um, my question was about Romans 8.27. Um, I didn't take the I didn't make the opportunity to listen to the recording of that. Um, I don't think I was, I can't remember if I was um, busy, but I was looking for notes in my email. I couldn't find any. So in regard to Romans 8.27, it says, And he who searches heart knows what it is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes to the saints according to the will of God. 
and that is that is um, right after the verse about we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I wanted to understand something. I, I think there is three characters in this verse. Um, one is He who searches hearts, and I think we're talking about God the Father there. And then we have the mind of the Spirit named explicitly, so we know we're talking about the Spirit, and this is the same Spirit who also knows the mind of God, even the deep things of God. And then we have man. So man is the one for whom the Spirit is interceding, or the saints, as it's called here, um, in the ESV translation anyway. So my question is this, why the... It, it seems like the spirit is in the middle of this, and you've got the father on one side, and you've got the saints on the other side. And the father knows what the prayers are because he knows the mind of the spirit. So, what is what is the cause of that separation, or the apparent separation? Why why make that distinction that is the mind of the spirit that is interceding for the saints? Hmm. Um, when we think, uh, you know, this, the unity that we have. Um, so the Father is in us, just as we are in Him, etc. So why do we have that distinction that the Spirit is the one who is interceding for us on the, on the battleground, no less? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good question, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, I don't think I've had that question before, but it, I embrace it because uh it is it does talk about the motive of why the scripture is structured in the way it is i would answer it this way i would say that the, you you as you mentioned you could see the spirit is in the middle and that is properly how the scripture goes because it says he is also interceding for us which would put him in the middle so one of the things to note, we could see if the Spirit existed independently of us, that'd be one thing. So, or, or another scenario could be that the Father knows everything and he could know what our weaknesses is. Why do we even need the Spirit to tell him uh, what is our weakness? Doesn't the Father, can he already know that? <laughs> we, could, we could ask. Well, he's, already, he's already searching the heart. That's right. That's right. So, he who searches our hearts. So, here is where uh, we are, are to see the Spirit's integration with us. That's what this is telling us. That the Spirit is so integrated with us that we personally have God the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. That's... And this verse is demonstrating that. And, and we also have to say that there are rules in the game. So when we say the game, we should say the plan. <laughs> I don't want to say game because it makes it seem like it's not real. But this is real and the Father's plan is being executed. But there are rules that have to uh, be conducted in a proper way. For instance, remember Satan... Is, is able to go into heaven. Now, when you think about that, you can say, wait a minute, this is all upside down. Why should Satan be able to go into heaven? Well, 
he's still able to make a case and accuse us before God, as it says in Revelation. Now, of course, in the middle of the tribulation, there is war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought and, and so forth, and Satan was thrown out of heaven, which means he no longer has a right to even go there anymore. He can't enter heaven. But that's not until the middle of the tribulation. So what is going on in heaven? Well, you got the Holy Spirit interceding for us. You got Christ interceding for us. And we got us interceding for us. When we say interceding, well, we are presenting our own case before the Father when we do know what to pray for as we are. And the Holy Spirit takes up the slack when we don't know what to pray for as we ought. So what I, what I see in that is, is, one, there's that. There's that part of the plan that is still going on. But that's, that really what jumps out at me more than that is God is letting us know how integrated the Spirit is with our persons. I mean, so it doesn't even say that the Father searches our hearts. So, so when you think about what is that? Well, the Spirit uh, is in our heart. Right? He, he's in. That's where he is. So he, he who searches the heart, he's talking about the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit. So he, he doesn't say, I'm searching your heart. He could, but because of the integration that the Spirit has, and because you haven't voiced it yourself, the Spirit does. The Spirit can voice those weaknesses. And it says, literally, let me turn to it, it says, and he who searches the hearts, that's the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit. So the mind of the Spirit is really our mind. Okay, that's the mind of the Spirit. It is so integrated with us that he is us. Can we say it that way? He is us, except with greater competency and greater knowledge and wisdom. We have the Holy Spirit integrated with our spirits. So he can, even though our consciousness is not aware of everything that's going on in the spiritual realm, we're connected by means of God the Holy Spirit. You can be sure nothing is going to happen to us that God is not allowing to happen to us. It just lets you know, behind the scenes... God is working already. So I, I think it, re, it reminds me of this person who was telling me, I don't, this, this is a poor analogy, but, and I don't give good ones, but here, here it is. So this, this lady was, it was, it's a school analogy, so she, was, she got a grade on her paper, and she didn't think the grade was proper. And so she thought about it, she thought about it, and she said, I should have got a better grade on there. I mean, that, that, I don't think it was fair. So she finally marshaled up enough courage to go to the teacher and say, listen, um, humbly, I, I want to say that I think I should have got a better grade on the paper. So it turns out the teacher turned to her and smiled and said, 
Really? Okay. So, you know, this is the very thing I've been working on. I didn't want to just arbitrarily change it, but I wanted to talk to my superiors about it. And uh, it all was worked out, and we have changed your grade already. So when I think about that, I said, oh, you know what? So this lady was thinking, you know, you know, some, there's some inequity here. But what she didn't know was behind the scenes, all these people were working on her behalf. She didn't even realize what was going on behind the scenes. She, all she could know was what she knew. But what was happening behind the scenes was all that work going on for her. The teacher was, was, was vying for her. The, the teacher's superiors were vying for her to get a better grade. And they changed it. They just went ahead and changed it. They didn't ask her if it was okay. In the same way, I'm looking at it this way, I'm not exactly, but we are walking around in this world. And what we don't realize often is that God is working on our behalf. He's already working things out. Things that we don't even have knowledge of. He's busy working. So I think the first thing that jumps out at me is we're on the battlefield and this integration with the spirit that we have is what God is trying to help us understand. Because you know what? He didn't even have to tell us this. He, we don't know. So why tell us? We don't even know what we ought to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself, it, he, it, this is something he does. He takes up this battle for us. And this is something that God is allowing us to know about his comprehensive care and integration that we have with the, with the Spirit of Truth, with the Holy Spirit. So he literally can uh, react to things that we need, even though we don't need, know that we need them. It's another way to say, the Spirit is so integrated with you that when you walk outside of the will of God, when you step outside of the will of God, the Holy Spirit is grieved. He knows that you're not step that you're not aligned with truth in the way you're walking. And the Bible gives us information to, to tell us that the Holy Spirit is not pleased with this. And he uses an anthropopathism in order to do it. He says the Holy Spirit is grieved. The Holy Spirit is not up there wrenching his hands and and, and rocking back and forth. That's not but he wants us to help understand what the action of the Holy Spirit is, which is to influence us to walk in truth. So he says he's going to continue to fight, right? like the Holy Spirit fights the sin nature, and the sin nature fights the Holy Spirit. So, but that is going on right? behind the scenes. You didn't even know about it, right? You might have just said, well, you know, I'm doing what I want to do. I think I'm just I'm walking. But the Holy Spirit is behind the scenes, so we should know who we are and what God has done in us. So that's what jumps out at me when I think about it. Those two things: one, the the, the battle and the integration of the Spirit. Because if you think about all that was said prior to that, 
the Spirit makes the difference. It's the baptism of the Spirit where he takes us and identifies us with the person of Christ so that we are children. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And, you know, and he goes on and on and builds this whole understanding for us about how important it is that we have been integrated with God the Holy Spirit. Or let's just say identified with God the Holy Spirit. I'll pause. All right, well, well, thanks for that. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, it, there is certainly that emphasis there about the um, crucial role that the Spirit plays um, in knowing, um, you know, what, what the saints need, you know, praying mm-hmm. before as they ought, not even knowing um, what they need to pray. And, it, and it's, it's also amazing that this is the very same Spirit we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that this is the spirit who knows the mind of God, mm-hmm. even the deep things of God. Yes. And so that, that even makes the integration even more profound. Mm-hmm. That, um, it's just amazing. So um, to continue that, and I know you want to get to the regular lesson. <laughs> take, so, go ahead, take your uh, time. Make, yeah, I don't want to make too much of a, a point of this, but even in verse 28, it helps us see that verse 28 is not in isolation. So verse 28 about, um, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we see with the emphasis on the integration of the spirit, we can see that that's how. Um, mm-hmm. That's exactly how that works. Um, and... So it's you know God is uniting, um, uniting us with Him through the Spirit, and uh, as, you, as you mentioned, being baptized into the person of Christ. Mm-hmm. So all of these things are, you know, good when you when you consider all that. Good is it seems like a weak word compared to what is actually happening. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. So one of the things um, also. And, and by the way, there there are notes. There's notes for um, Wednesday. It was Wednesday, ten twenty eight, uh, that uh, we went over Romans eight twenty seven. I could forward you those notes, and uh, but you yeah, may you may have to. I, I found the note for eight twenty eight. Mm-hmm. So it would have I'm been. Sorry? So it have been the date was uh, October twenty eighth, two thousand twenty. So if you, I can forward to them forward them to you again but just to note I was just looking back at my notes and one of the things I, I mentioned is uh, it says I believe we are seeing language of accommodation here with the term searches so one, one of the things to note is that the way that term is used it is it's about investigation and it's more how we understand things than how God understands things so there's, there's a difference. We, we won't be able to fully comprehend how God is able to know the end from the beginning. <laughs> we won't. It is a matter of omniscience. But as he talks to us and reveals to us what is working on the inside of him and how he knows things, he has to explain it to us in this way, which is why I say 
language of accommodation. So this, this helps us to understand. So like even in 1 Corinthians 2, it says, He who searches the hearts knows the minds of the Spirit. Or, no, I'm sorry, this, that's this verse. But 1 Corinthians 2 says, But the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Well, does the Spirit have to investigate the, the all things? The deep? No, He knows them. He knows them already. But for us, for our information, we have to know that the Holy Spirit is competent to be able to give us this information. And he has already investigated it. Right? It's like he studied it out and now he's able to give it to us. But really he hasn't. He hasn't studied it out. But that's there for our benefit. Because that's how we get information. we got to search it out. We got to investigate it. That's what the word means. It means to seek. That is to investigate. Search. So that's the thought. Um, and 828, another marvelous verse. We know that in all things, God works for the good. So we could say all things is the plan. Right? That is God's eternal plan because all things were created so that God could execute his plan. That was the beginning of him literally doing something in order to make his plan come to fruition. So, for instance, it'd be, what if God never executed it? He just only thought about it. We would never exist. We would, <laughs> we'd, nothing could ever have happened. But the moment Christ began the creation meant that this plan was going to go into effect and God was going to see it through. So that all things, it's working together for good. And it's for us, those who have been called according to his purpose. Yeah. And for those who love him are those who are understanding of what God has done. Because you can't get to the place where you see what God has done unless you come to the place where you allow him, where you devote to him, where you love him. Who see what God is doing. Right? That's the point. And these things will continue to work. And verse 29 and 30 tells us for sure that they will work. For sure with absolute certainty that those he foreknew, he also called, those he called, they also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. There's no doubt that this will happen. Nothing can stop it. Nothing in heaven, nothing in, uh, above, nothing below, nothing in all creation can stop what God is getting ready to do here. Well, he's already done half of it. He just has the glorified part. Well, he has to finish calling those many sons uh, in this age, and then there's the glorified part. So, I'll pause. Other other thoughts? Earlier when you were speaking, you were speaking on the, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit and God, his uh, contribution uh, to our enhancement. We brought back a uh, scripture about... Uh, Holy Spirit brings back to remember the things that he has said. Um, the question would be, those are things that we have 
Well, there is a, a scripture I'm thinking of that you where you're coming from may be this one. Uh, and it's John 14, 26, where he says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Notice, he will teach you all things, which is that key phrase again that is a reference to the Father's plan. He's working together all things, right? God works all things. So so here it is. But then it says, And will remind you of everything I have said to you. Is that the verse you're referring to? Yes. Yeah. So that verse, yeah. So Christ had spoken to uh, the disciples. Right? So two things are being mentioned here. Not only when the Spirit comes, this is a new dispensation. He will teach you all things. So remember, uh, what what does it say? When he comes, he will lead... Well, first he said, there is much more I have to tell you, more than you can now bear. So Christ did not tell the disciples everything. He told them what they could handle. But he's, he, then he deferred to the Holy Spirit. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes... He will teach you all things. In other words, he's going to tell you the whole plan. And then he will also remind you of everything I said to you, which is to say we should be integrating what Christ said in these chapters with what the apostles said in the New Testament. Paul and James and John and Peter. We should be integrating that. And I find, I, I will just say, and I will find, I find that's not the case. In every, a lot of people are really excited about Acts chapter 2 and, you know, what happened at Pentecost. But they're not talking about the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Talking, you might say he's more like the Spirit of emotion. Whereas that is not how Christ described him at all. He's the spirit of truth. Christ said what he's going to tell us. He told us some things that we could handle, but other things will be coming. And yet, uh, we have tremendous information about the mystery and all that is said there. And you know, we don't even have to talk about mystery, do we? Because really, the apostle wanted to keep all of this alive, this whole thought. Because the mystery is revealed. It's not a mystery anymore. So why, why? how can Paul call it a mystery? It's not a mystery. It's been revealed. It's not, it's not a secret anymore. But he does that in order to get our attention, to help us understand and focus on this information. Although, I would say, even though he's done all of that, he's gone to those great lengths, people can still disregard it if they want to. Because you do not hear it being talked about. You would think, oh, a mystery, what is it? Wow, I, I, Paul, tell us. No, on the opposite. They're like, what mystery? What are you talking about? That's today. Right? That's what's happening today, unfortunately. And we still call it a mystery. It's not a mystery anymore. Just remember that. It's 2,000 years ago. This is really a teaching aid from the Apostle Paul. Others don't use it. John doesn't use it. Peter doesn't use it. Right? Other James doesn't use it. It is a teaching aid for the Apostle Paul. It's a mystery. Just think about that when you read his writings. Anyway, we're going to have to continue. 
hopefully that answers your questions, Bill. All right, so that means we should head on into Romans, and you have notes. So let's, let's, uh, let's dig into the notes here. Um, not 10.28, but 12.9, you have notes. Let's look at it. So Romans 8.32, so he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. You know, if I had a lot of nerve, you know what I would do? I would sing this because there's a song that every time I read this verse, it just keeps echoing in my head. <laughs> but I don't have any nerve. So I'm just letting you know and you don't, I, you don't have to be embarrassed for me because I'm not doing it. But let's talk about the verse. That's what I can do. Okay, so first point is he who did not spare his own son. So when it says his own son, that is unique in and of itself. But let's dig in. All right. So the first thought is we have explored, we're keeping with the context. In the previous week, we explored who can be against us. Remember, if God is for us, who can be against us? So we knew, we knew God is for us. We talked about that. But then we skipped to who can be against us, right? And we dealt with who that might be. We gave four things. One, we explored um, who, in essence, would, would it be. I think first one was the world, the flesh, the devil. Second one is mainly the Jews or Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. So why do I say mainly? Because you're going to see in the coming uh, verses that they are the point that Paul's trying to make. And then three, um, where it says uh, not only about Israel, uh, but for a different purpose, right? So Israel was chosen. They were predestined. They were elected and justified, and they will be glorified. There's no doubt about that, but not for the same purpose. And then who else can be against us? You can. We, we can be against ourselves. How? By being childish and not taking your place in the battle, right? You, you will not uh, receive the things that come from the Spirit. You will say they're foolishness. You can be against your own self. God has chosen you and all that, and then you get saved, and you repudiate the mystery doctrine. That's how you could be against your own self. God is for you, for sure, but you are denying the very things that he has established in your in your life. So that's that's the context I wanted to say. <clears throat> so he who so now it says he who did not spare his own son. That was what we explored about who can be against us in the previous verse. Now let's continue to discuss the only ones who could legitimately be against us and it matter. I mean a person could be against us if they want to. That's, that's one thing. But will it really matter? So if a person comes up to me and says, I reject the mystery. I reject this whole church thing you you got talking about. You guys have been dealing with and laboring over. I reject it. It doesn't really matter to me. This can't hurt me. It can't do anything against what God has already done. That's their opinion. 
But if God the Father is against me, then that matters. But you know, the verse is not talking about the Father's against us. It's, it's that the Father is for us. Let's look at it. So the next point is it's the Father. If there's anyone who could possibly be against us, it would be God the Father. I mean, this is number one person who uh, could say no to your call. You won't even have a calling if he doesn't want you to have a calling. So if there was anyone who could possibly be against us, it would be God the Father. It is his plan, his eternal purpose. So when we read that in, in Ephesians 3, 10, and 11, which I think we read last week, we'll, we'll look at it real quick. Ephesians 3, 10, 11. His intent, who's his, the Father's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when we think about this, the Father, through the church, right? the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles, Paul says, uh, you know, he's got to preach to the Gentiles the, um, the boundless riches of Christ in verse 8. And then to make plain to everyone else, we could say everyone else, that's Jews. There's only Jews and Gentiles on the earth, according to God, the way he sees it. And to make plain to everyone. So not only do we have Gentiles covered, we have Jews covered. So, and that is who, where God pulled those two groups he pulled from in order to establish the church. According, and it's according to his, his eternal purpose. How does he build the church? By calling us uh, in, in Christ from the creation of the world. So that's the thought. It was his decision to choose or not to choose. So if, if the Father did not choose us, we, we wouldn't have this. We wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Because the Holy Spirit would not have led us into all truth here. He did not, if he did not choose us, but you know what? He did. And what does the record say? And this is point C in our notes. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's Ephesians 1.4. He chose us. I, listen, none of us were around to have input about this choice. It's not my choice. I didn't ask to be chosen. You didn't. But God chose us. Now, this boggles the mind still. We could still be stuck on how does God, like why did he choose me? Like why me? Of all the people. That he could have chosen. Why did he choose me? We could be stuck there. And I think it's not a worthless pursuit. I think it is one that will eventually result in praise. Because we will that is the only place we could go. It's gratitude, appreciation, and praise to God for his choosing. And this is holy and blameless in his sight. It was his decision to make. It wasn't anybody else's. So when you're talking about who can be against us, it's just God's decision to make. Not anyone else could have made that decision. It's not the Jews that could have made the decision. It's not me, whether I reject or accept, that could have made that decision. 
It's not Satan. It's not the world. They don't. They can't make that decision. God is the only one who, from eternity past, made the decision to choose you to be in Christ. And Ephesians one four says it exactly that way. So, uh, and when you think about that, it was His decision to make. As we live and breathe in two thousand twenty, we're here. We have shown up. And I like what it says in Ephesians 1, 12, and 13. Let's go to Ephesians 1, so 12 and 13. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. So that praise of his glory, Paul is saying he's, the fir- he's in the first generation of the church age. The f- he said the first to put our hope in Christ. And, and this is what we are talking about, right? This is what we read earlier in Romans about in this hope we were saved, right? That we might be for the praise of his glory. Now, clearly the mystery is in the context here. And verse 13, and you also were included in Christ. And you ought to be thinking about yourself. You know how they they say when you point your finger, your thumb is pointing back at you. You can just not point the finger, but just look at the thumb and just point it to your own self, because that's who we're talking about now. You. How were you included in Christ? When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believe. That's it. Believing is non-meritorious. There's no works involved. You didn't even know that this was the calling. You had to learn all this from the spirit of truth. All you knew is that you were lost helpless. When you heard the good news, you said, I believe in Christ. And then it says you were marked in him. As a result, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. There it is. That's the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit who guarantees, this is the, he's the deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his Glory. So this is why I said it only can result in praise. The more you think about it, it's just like the apostle Paul, to the praise of his glory. Paul didn't choose Christ. God the Father chose him. All he did was believe in Christ for his lost, helpless, depraved soul. That's all he did. You believe the gospel. And you were you were in Christ. Now he was the first generation. I don't know or what generation we are, but we're here as we live and breathe. Point D. He did not spare his own son. Now, that word spare, fidamahi, is it's a Greek word. It means to be chary. Uh, that means not cautious, right? He he was not cautious when he did this, or you know, he wasn't guarded when he He just let it all out. He did not spare. That is subjectively to abstain or objectively is really it. To treat leniently. In other words, he didn't give Christ a break. He came down with the full weight of his justice on the Lord Jesus Christ. It means to forbear or it means to spare. You know, I looked at about 10 different translations. Even Wiest. And I could not find one translation that used a different word 
for spare here. He who did not spare his own son. None, none of these other translations, in fact, every translation I read, even the ones that are like the living Bibles and all that, they use the same word, spare. So this is why I felt, well, let me just add some definition here so you can, if you wanted to expand a little bit about what does spare mean, you can have that. And then point E, at great cost, now just when it says he who did not spare, in other words, it cost the father something. It was not just something, oh, well, I guess I'll just spare the, uh, you know, I'll just judge the son. That's not it. it. The father judging the son is a strange act. It is the son whom he loves. The son who is in the bosom of the father. He, the father loves the son. We should know that. So when it says, when I say at great cost, that is what is implied by he who did not spare his own son. In other words, it wasn't easy for the father to judge his own son. It was difficult. It was burdensome for the father to judge the son. That's the thought. In John 3.16, we have it. For God loved the world so much that he gave that he gave is a reference to the fact that he gave him over to judgment for us all. That's what he mean, What it means. He gave him up or he gave the son as a sacrifice of judgment. So when you think about uh, putting, it, putting it in a human analogy, you think about the Abraham-Isaac uh, story. Where God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and then I want you to go up on a mountain, I'll show you, and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Now, Abraham knew what that meant. He understood that it was the voice of God that he had been hearing all these years, and he knew what he was saying to do. So that morning, Abraham got up, told Isaac, come on, you, you're coming with me, and he went to Moriah, Mount Moriah, got up the mountain, he took all the necessary things to sacrifice. Uh, Isaac knew the routine as well. He says, Father, I, I, I could see you got the, the wood, you got everything you need for a sacrifice, except I don't see the sacrifice. Where is the sacrifice? So Abraham said, God will provide. So can you imagine what Isaac was thinking when Abraham grabbed him, put him on top of the wood, tied him down, and pulls out his knife and is ready to sacrifice Isaac. And that's, it's hard for us to imagine what was on Abraham's mind, what was on God's mind. Well, we know what's on Abraham's mind because Hebrews tells us that Abraham thought that, well, if God told me to do this, I'm going to be obedient to God. I've been disobedient enough times to know better. So if God wants me to sacrifice Isaac, who is the promised son, then God will, must, he must raise him up because he is the promised son. Imagine that. The confidence that Abraham had. 
He says, well, if Isaac is the promised son, then he will have to be, just like God said, the promised son. So that means that even though I slay him, God will raise him up. That's the thinking that we are seeing in the book of Hebrews. I would say the same thought for you. You are chosen. No matter what happens to you, you are chosen. I don't care if you die on the battlefield. You are still chosen. <laughs> and you know God's going to raise you up. You don't have to worry. One, it tells us we'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. The moment we leave this earth, that's what's going to happen to us. So he, so that's the thought. And then Isaiah 53.10 says it as well. It is, I always read this one. I always quote it, actually. But why not take a read of Isaiah 53 and 10? It says it this way. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. King James says to bruise him and to, cause, to crush him and to cause him to suffer. How did he do that? By imputing our sins. Like it says in verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are drawn together. By Christ, by what God did for to Christ, even though he bruised him in this way, we are healed or reconciled to the Father. That's how God brings us and the Father together. That's what healed means. It talks about a wound that is being drawn together. That's what healed is. It's not that we have some sort of right to be healed physically. Please, please don't go there. That's what it means. So anyway, it goes on. It was Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And that... That is tough, and that is not easy for God, the Father. That's why I say it's that great cause. He did this. He continued to judge the Son until his justice was fully satisfied. And how do we know if First John 2, 2 says, and he, I'll go to First John 2, 2. I could quote it. It's one of those verses that um, you should not forget. 1 John 2, 2, he, Christ, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the word there, translated atoning sacrifice, is propitiation. It means satisfaction of the justice or wrath of God. Propitiation. And he says he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's everybody. Not just believers, but everybody's sins. Christ died for all. Unlimited atonement. So when it says he's the atoning sacrifice, he's the propitiation, that means that when Christ, when Christ was being judged on the cross for our sins, the Father continued to judge him until he and his justice was fully satisfied. Otherwise, we could not have First John to to in the Bible because then he wouldn't be satisfied and we'll, we would be miserably and helplessly lost forever. Let's keep going. Uh, so he who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all. Okay, from we, to understand this, we have to go back to the historical metaphors. In other words, Christ is the Lamb of God. This is what John one twenty nine says. Regular John, one twenty nine. It says that John saw Christ coming, right? And this is what he said. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, "This is the only way that John could know this. It's just like what happened when Peter said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon. It was my Father in heaven who revealed this to you. In the same way, the only way John the Baptist could know that that was Christ, when he saw him coming toward him, when he said that, he wasn't guessing. It was God the Father who revealed that to John. And so... This is something that we should know. Is not something that he was thinking, oh, well, maybe that's him. Oh, no, it wasn't him. Let me think about the next guy who comes up. It was divine intervention here for us. So that's, <clears throat> he gave him up. So lambs from the time that Abel, or let's even go back further, when Adam and the woman sinned in the garden, and God is the first, the first, Sign of death is where God killed animals and used their coats to provide for Adam and the woman. They had nothing but fig leaves and uh, for a covering. God provided skins of animals or coats of animals. This is the first time death is in the Bible, and it is for a redemptive purpose. And then you have Abel and Cain who are asked to bring a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And then uh, Abel does. God is pleased. God says he's righteous. Cain does not. And God rejects his offering. And he is not righteous. And if you continue on, many animals were, were killed to depict, to, to help people understand the metaphor of what would really happen when Christ came as, just like John said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's exactly that metaphor. And I can't think, I used to know this answer, and I don't remember, of how many lambs that the Jews were sacrificing on a daily basis. I mean, they were, they had the morning and the evening service, and there was... uh, more lambs and being sacrificed and bulls and goats uh, for other days, special feasts and holidays. So there were a tremendous, there was a tremendous amount of bloodshed. I would not want to be a priest. I mean, this obviously is not my calling. I can say that now, but imagine if you were called to be in the tribe of Levi and then you had to be uh, a priest in that time. I mean, not all the priests did the sacrificing. They would have various jobs around the temple, but there were those who would sacrifice and the blood would be spilled for these animals to cut the animal's throat and the animal would bleed to death. This is a rough job. 
but that's what they did. That's what they did. So uh, all of this was to depict who Jesus was when he would come as the innocent, spotless Lamb of God. And he would take away or assuage the justice of God for us. And that's what happened. So point B, Jesus Christ was sacrificed as a substitute for us. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21, which you know very well. I'll just read it real quick. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the righteousness that God approves, the righteousness that God accepts for man. And what righteousness is that? It's Christ's righteousness. So we receive the righteous life of Christ, the credit that he received when Christ said, when the Father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God is pleased with the righteousness of Christ and therefore uh, Christ took our sin and in exchange we we receive his righteousness. So that is credit for the life that he lived before God and is approved. And that's that's what that's literally what it means to be our substitute. And that's what Christ did for us. When we think about what what does it mean? Always go back to 2 Corinthians 5:21. That's where you're going to find substitution. He did that for us on our behalf. That's what Christ did. And then uh point C where it says but he gave him up for us all. Now, this, this is important to note. In context here, it refers to those in question. Well, who who are, are those in question? Uh, for us all is equal to those, like it, what we read Romans 8, 28 through 30, where it says and, uh, that God is, well, let me go to Romans 8. It's easy to do. I don't have to misquote it. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him. So there's those. And then in verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So who is he talking about? He's talking about those in context, which he said five times between Romans 8, 28, and 30. Now, you could also understand that uh, unlimited atonement is for everybody. We could expand it to everybody, but it doesn't happen to be expanded here. He's talking about those in context, who he's referring to. He's talking about us and every one of us, those he foreknew to those he glorified. Those are the ones that he's referring to uh, with the question, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If we say who can be against us, we don't have to ask, who's he talking about? We know who he's talking about. So then if we come down to the next verse, where, where he talks about what he gave him up for us all, he's talking about us still. That's why. Now, is it is unlimited atonement true? Absolutely, it's true. But it does not apply in these verses. Okay, it's because in these verses it talks about a specific group 
of those who have been called in Christ. So let's go to Ephesians 2, 1 through 4, because there's another example that if you, if you don't look at this closely, you could miss it, right? This is, this is important to note. Now, so Ephesians 2, 1 uh, through 2, 4, or 2, 3, let's just look at it. As for you. Now, we know he's talking about believers, those, because in the previous verse, he's talking about those who could be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God and how, you know, he is, how God is, what he has done for us in such a marvelous way. We are his body, the fullness of him, right? All this things, he's talking about believers in this age. So then in chapter 2, 1, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So there's no difference between you and anybody else. Watch this in verse two, uh, three. All of us also lived among them at one time. Now, wait a minute. All of us lived among them. Aren't we all in the same boat? Yes. Everybody's dead. Everybody, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who do good. There's none who seek after God. All of us are in the same boat. But, but do you see the distinction between the rest of them and us? Here it is. All of us lived among them. What do you mean we lived among them? <laughs> what were we talking about when we were believers? No. When we were unbelievers, what did we do? Gratifying the cravings of our, of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And look at this, like the rest. The rest of who? The rest of all humanity who had the same spiritual death, separation from God, sin nature, condemnation. We were by nature objects of wrath. So even though we are just like everybody else, Paul is telling you, that you're different from everybody else in this respect. You're his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's your calling. But it, those others, it may not be their calling. But guess what? We all started at the same place. And that, that's what happens. And then, of course, the subject is us. So then he goes on and says, but God who is great, uh, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. So so there you have, uh, I don't know how much we're going to get through tonight. Let's just see. I'm looking at my notes here. But but that's the thought. Let's keep going and maybe we'll, let's see what time is it. Oh, gosh. We might have to quit early. So so that's that's the thought here, right? Um it is, it is here. Let's see. Hold on. Hold on. He came to live and die according to the Father's plan. This is point D. Let's look at point D. And I'll figure out how far we can go. We'll go for another two or three minutes. But Christ came to live and die according to the Father's plan. So that's what it means. But he, he gave him up for us all. He did not spare his own son. So Luke twenty two forty two says, 
that Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Right? This is, Christ knew what the plan was. And you know, John 14, 31, it also deals with the fact that Christ says, I love the Father and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. And he headed to the cross. So this is the thought. Christ came to live. He knew he was born for a particular purpose. And he died. And his death was not a normal death. He ended up being judged for the sins of the whole world. Then he said, it is finished. Let's keep going. How will he not also along with him? It sounds like some disconnected words, but let's see if we can understand it. So how will he not also? What does that mean? It means he did not spare his own son. It stands to reason that he is for us. That's what this is saying. He's willing to see us come to take our place as sons. Right? So the Father's not against us. He's for us. And these are ways that we can know that the Father demonstrates that he is for us. And when he says, how will he not also along with him? And that's point B. Along with him means, it's referring back to verse 29. We are with him when he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. We are united uh, to Christ by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 2, 5 through 7. Right? We, we talked about it since I'm already in Ephesians. Let's look at it. It says, He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. So notice, our salvation isn't just, oh, and he saved us and we have eternal life and now we will live with God forever or something to that effect. No, our salvation is not only once we are saved, that we are, uh, we are, we are made alive with Christ. Remember the death, burial, and resurrection. And even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. So salvation allowed us to be made alive with Christ. And God raised us up with him, or with Christ, and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. All of that from where it says, but his great love for us, God is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. That's how it, it's by grace we have been saved. So that's what's important. So that's what it means along with him. So, so not only did Christ get raised from the dead, we are also raised with him. That's what it means. He will not, how will he not also along with him? In other words, how will he not do it because he's for us? He will, he will do it. He will make sure that he does it because this is part of his eternal plan that he do it. So point C, along with him, right? Um, oh, wait a minute. I think I skipped something. Yes. So far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So in other words, that's the position where we have, we're with him in that position. That's the idea is that, you know, our 
salvation is not just we're saved, but God raised us up with him and put us far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be invoked. Not in the present, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So then we'll finish up this last point and we'll continue next week with graciously give us all things. So another and then we're back to how will he not also along with him so along with him now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory i consider that the present suf- our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's right in the context of Romans 8, 17 and 18. So if the, so who, who can be against us? Uh, the only really will give away what next week's notes will reveal. So the two people that can be against us, possibly, will be the Father and will be the Son. If, if something in the Father is disagreeable to this calling, to all that he said, those he foreknew, then he would have not included us. Right? And then he further demonstrates it by saying, well, if I was against you, would I have sent my son to be sacrificed for you? Would I have done that? No, he would not have. So, so that's the thought. So, And then when we read... When we think about what the Spirit has done for us, how we are now heirs of God. I mean, God is the one who did that for us. He, he will definitely be on our side if he did all of these things. So next week, we're going to have to talk about uh, how the Son responds. Because Christ could say, ah, I'm not paying for those sins. I'm not going to allow this to, the plan to go forward. I disagree. He could have said that, but no, he did not. And not only did he not do it, but he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, endured the shame and so forth. So Christ is for us as well. And we will also see next week about him also interceding for us. So let's let's Uh, stop at this point as our time is now away from us so we'll deal with point four next week he will graciously graciously give us all things let's bow our heads as we close thank you father for the call we thank you for choosing us in your son before the creation of the world and while these things are unfolding to us what we know is that each flap of the that unfolds each new wave of information that lord it just warms our hearts and continues to amaze us and astound us about what your grace has accomplished on our behalf we thank you for your grace we thank you because we did not choose this for ourselves it is your your call that this is our destiny so we thank you for word is truth where we can talk about these things where it, it's a church where uh, the, they are interested to hear about 
your eternal purpose. Thank you for those who have given their, their time and their devoted their energy to hearing and understanding these things. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.